Okay. If you have Bibles with you or a Bible app, please open up to Mark chapter 14. Last week I, uh, I shared with you, I offered what I call a one-of message titled, The Powerless Place. And God surprised me this week and turned my one-of into a two-of. Gave me more to share on that topic. And so this morning what I want to talk about, I want to continue to talk about the powerless place, uh, but specifically I want to address uh, what's known as the dark night of the soul. So let's begin with scripture. The text I'm going to use is right after Jesus had, had finished his final Passover meal in the upper room with his closest friends. He had washed their feet. He had shared with them profound truths like, I give you a new commandment, love one another, and that all people would know that you belong to me, that you're my followers by the way you love one another. Just profound. And um, after this, it was time to pray. And so he went off to the garden with them. So Mark 14, I'm going to read verses 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Oh God, you know all things. I pray, Lord, that you would um, use my words today. Let, let them be words of life and hope and encouragement uh, to my friends. Open our eyes. Illuminate your scripture to us. In Jesus' name. So Jesus is our example in all things. We, we all agree with that statement, right? right? Jesus was baptized, and so we get baptized. Jesus came preaching good news about his Father, and so for centuries now people have preached the good news of the gospel. Jesus operated in supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, and there are churches like ours that believe that that still happens today. And we practice, and we experiment, and we explore, and we use. You utilize the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? He taught them those words, and then he went to an actual cross. Here in Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus experiencing what some might call the dark night of the soul. Maybe it ought not surprise you and I that if at some point on our spiritual journey, we too would go through a dark night where our prayers might seem very much like Jesus's, where we feel like we're distressed. We actually are distressed and in, in deep trouble. When your soul, like Jesus said that night, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I bet everyone in this room can remember a time in their life when that would have been an accurate statement of what your world looked like. Maybe now. I hope not, but maybe. And maybe you've prayed, just like Jesus prayed that night. If it possible, Abba Father, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So what is the dark night of the soul? Is that a new statement to people? Has anybody never heard that, that phrase before? All right, so, but most of you have. The, term, the first time I heard the term, the dark night of the soul, was while attending uh, one of John Paul Jackson's courses titled The Art of Hearing God. And one of the sections in that course was on the topic of the dark night of the soul. And I remember at the time, it provided for me language for my experience. I was like, oh, other people have gone through this too. So much so that they have a category for it. They got a label for it. They have an identifier for it. This is helpful to me, as they described it. I remember thinking at the time, oh, that's what it's called. The dark night of the soul is also known as the wilderness. Some people call it the backside of the desert. Or times when the heavens feel like brass. Or maybe what I described last week as the powerless place. The dark night of the soul. It's not when you're powerful. It's not when you're feeling strong. Not when you got it all together. It's those other times. <laughs> the powerless place. According to my research, the term dark night of the soul is the title given to a poem written by St. John of the Cross. He was a 16th century Spanish poet, Roman Catholic, uh, Carmelite. He was a mystic, a priest, and a doctor of the church. His eighth stanza Spanish poem outlines the soul's journey from the distractions and entanglements of the world to a place of perfect peace and harmony in union with God. Now just take note if you decide to go do some research on St. John and of the cross and you know try and find an English version of the poem, please know that I'm not necessarily endorsing his perspective or his conclusions. I'm just saying that this is where the, the phrase, the terminology, the dark night of the soul comes from. So that's what it is. Why? Why do we go through seasons like this? Why do we go through the wilderness? Why? Do we go through the backside of the desert? Why do we go through times where we're in the powerless place or we're experiencing our, experiencing our own dark nights of the soul? Why? I'm sure there are many reasons. But let me just touch on a few. Certainly not exhaustive, but these are, these are some examples. 
I think sometimes we find ourselves in the powerless place. We find ourselves in the midst of a dark night of the soul. We find ourselves in impossible circumstances because we have obeyed God and followed His direction perfectly. Sometimes we do exactly what He tells us to do and it leads us to a hard place. Sometimes that's hard for us to believe. But I tell you what, if you look at the life of Moses, and I won't read it now, but look up Exodus 14, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see <coughs> that in those verses, God gave Moses very specific, exacting directions of where he wanted Moses to take the Israelites who had just been freed from Egypt. He gave them specific direction. It was almost like he said, go to the intersection of University Avenue and Allen Street and camp there. And that's what he did. He did what God told him to do. And he found himself in an impossible situation. The Red Sea on one side and the most powerful army on the face of the earth coming after him on the other side. It wasn't his sin that brought him there. It wasn't his weaknesses. It wasn't his brokenness. It wasn't his mistakes. It wasn't, it wasn't his rebellion. It was his obedience. In obedience, he did exactly what God told him to do. And he found himself in a situation where he, in and of himself, was powerless to do anything about it. Why do we find ourselves in the dark night of the soul sometimes? Because Not because we've done anything wrong. Sometimes it's because we've done everything right. And in that utterly powerless place, God did for Moses and the Israelites a God-sized thing. He showed himself mighty and strong. And just like I told you last week, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And it was made perfect in that weakness right then and there. Other times, we find ourselves in the dark night of the soul because we're not following God well. If you remember, some of you guys are here, at the beginning of the year I shared a prophetic message on insights for the coming year. And I gave something for each month. This is what I gave for July. I said, in July I see a change of direction, a 90 degree turn to the left, a turn toward destiny, a turn toward divine purpose. And I told you the Lord wanted us to pay attention in July. Because this sharp and dramatic turn will come suddenly. And unless we listen, and pay close attention, we're going to just keep going and doing what we've always done. We're going to be running on automatic pilot. Momentum is going to carry us in the direction we've been going. And God made a turn. And, and after a little while, we're going to say to ourselves, Hey, where did God go? What happened? Well, he made a change. And for whatever reason, we missed it. And so we're doing what we always did when God's doing a new thing. right? That's what it says in... Isaiah 43, 18, and the, first, the, half, the front half of the verse of 19. God says to the prophet Isaiah, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And for many of us, in those times when God's doing a new thing, he's making a sharp left-hand turn, our answer is nope. <laughs> we don't perceive it. We ain't got a clue what you're doing, Lord. You know, we're still doing what we've always done. And, and if you stay in that place, you keep going straight and God made a change, suddenly your daytime turns into a dark night. We just miss God. 
And it happens to all of us. I'm on the front of that line. Why else? Sometimes we're in a dark night because God's pruning our vine to make us more fruitful. Jesus said in John 15, verses 1 to 5, he says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears new fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. Jesus goes on to say, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. See that abiding thing? That kind of goes back to what I just said about following God. He abides in us. We abide in him. He makes a left-hand turn. We make a left-hand turn. But you know what I discovered as I read these verses? <laughs> Everyone gets pruned. The fruitful and the unfruitful. Give. You're going to get cut, dude. No matter what's going on in your world, there's pruning in your future. And so you know what that tells me? When God prunes, it's not punishment. Sometimes he prunes in our lives. And we think, oh God, what did I do? Why am I being punished? He's not punishing us, he's preparing us. He's tending us. He's trimming us. And it's for good purpose. It's so that the fruitful could be even more fruitful. But for us, on our journey, that can feel like a dark night. I had a friend who owned a... Uh, a vineyard, an actual great vineyard back in Washington. And the vineyard had been unattended for quite a while by the time he purchased it. And he took me out into the field with them and he showed me how he pruned vines. And I'm like, dude, you are like cutting this thing down on nothing. I thought, I didn't know anything. I'm a kid from Brooklyn. What do I know about grapevines, right? I'm thinking, oh, all these brands, this is good. He's going all this way. And he's like, whack, whack, whack. He's just trimming that down to nothing. And from my untrained eye, it looked like this is a mistake. But he knew exactly what he was doing. When God prunes our vine, it can, see like he's, it can feel like he's taken everything away. Yet in his infinite wisdom, because he is the gardener of our lives, he prunes us to make us more fruitful. But that can feel like a dark night of the soul. Why else? I think it kind of goes along with this. We go through a dark night, and it's preparation for our purpose and for our destiny and our calling. Hebrews 10.9, paraphrasing it, says that God takes away to establish. Now, in the, in the context of Hebrews, he's taking away the old covenant to establish the new. Sometimes he takes away the old to establish the new in our lives. And the loss can be very unsettling. Read the New Testament. Jesus came establishing a new covenant based upon love. And it rocked the Pharisees' world. They were used to the old. They preferred the old. They liked the old. But God himself, the God that they loved and served and followed, was doing a new thing. And they didn't perceive it either. Sometimes God takes away our old wineskin because what he has for us is new wine. And the new wine is going to require a new wineskin. And that can feel like 
a dark night of the soul. Especially if we're really attached to that old wineskin. Or the, to that old way of doing things. Why else do we experience this thing called a dark night of the soul? Sometimes it's just part of our journey. It's just part of our path. Now, this is the first time Nadine and I lived in Canada. We're here, so coming up on five years now. We'd spent most of our lives in the United States, and we, we've driven across the states numbers of times. And you know what? There are parts of the United States that's a desert. There's nothing, or it's a wilderness. Have you ever been to Wyoming? Guys, there's nothing in Wyoming. You can drive for hundreds of miles and see nothing. Not even a gas station, a little scary. We learn about Wyoming, if there's a gas station, if you need it or not, you stop and get gas. It's part of the journey. Sometimes, the journey that we're on, when we're going from where we've been to where God's sending us, there's a wilderness in between. There's a desert in between. doesn't mean we did anything wrong. It doesn't mean we're punished. It's just part of the journey. It's how we get from here to there. But I tell you what, I've never met anybody that's like, woohoo, I get to be in the desert, you know? Wow, I get to spend time in the wilderness. Nobody enjoys that. But you have to endure it, and you have to get through it. Jesus spent time in the desert. Read the Gospels. He spent 40 days in the desert. Some say the wilderness, some, some translations. If Jesus spent time in the, in the wilderness, it's a good chance that part of our journey is going to be in the wilderness. Most of you know that already because you've already spent time in the wilderness. So have I. We will all experience mountaintops and we'll all experience valleys. And I've learned that God's in both places. And that we learn and we grow and we mature from both experiences. The dark night of the soul, when we're in that place, it will challenge us and it'll cause us to ask different questions. Different from mountaintop questions, important questions. Questions that we wouldn't otherwise ask. These are just some of the reasons why we go through what I'm referring to as a dark night of the soul or the powerless place, like I called it last week. I'm sure you could add a few more to my list. Maybe you've gone through your own unique dark night. So, the important question, now that we know what it is and why it's called this, how do you get out of it, right? If you're in a dark night, if you're sitting here this morning and your spiritual GPS is saying wilderness or desert or powerless place, you want to know, how do I get out of here? How do I get through this? How do I get beyond it? I'm going to tell you what I've learned. And this, I'm sure there, there's more answers, but this is what I got for you. How do we get through the darkness of the soul? We trust God. We trust God as we, we're in the dark night. It's the only way I know. And here's the deal. In order to trust God, there's something that you absolutely need to know. It's essential. It's required. Without it, it's going to be nearly impossible for you to trust him. And the thing you need to know is this. You need to know just how much he loves you. If you could be convinced 
of how John writes it, his great and lavish love for you, then you would trust him. You would trust him not only on the mountain, but also in the valley. Wayne Jacobson writes, you guys know Wayne, he's the author of He Loves Me, He Helped Write the Shack. He was here with us maybe a couple of years ago now. Wonderful man of God. Wayne Jacobson writes, he says, Trust is the fruit of an ever-deepening relationship of mutual love and respect. Let me say that again. Trust is the fruit of an ever-deepening relationship of mutual love and respect. Paul Young, in the shack, communicated that same truth this way. And this is one of the scenes where the Papa character, God, is speaking to the, to the main character in the book, Mac. And Papa says to Mac, you cannot produce trust just as you cannot do humility. It either is or it is not. Trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know that you are loved. Because you do not know that I love you, you cannot trust me. Boy, that's about as true a statement as I've ever learned. It's true of my journey with God, and I've pastored hundreds, thousands of people over the last 30 years or so. And the ones who have the greatest difficulty, the most challenge in trusting God, are the ones who are still shaky, still on shaky ground concerning the reality of God's love for them. They don't know that God loves them lavishly and extravagantly, and for that reason... When the trials and tribulations come, when the circumstances turn sour, when the mountaintops turn into valleys, it's very difficult for those people to trust God. I believe that love of others and trust in God is cultivated amid trying circumstances. I believe that trusting precedes following. And we don't know that we have within us the capacity to trust until we're in a circumstance where trust is required, right? Until, until you're in that, that challenging circumstance. I'm trying to think of an analogy. Nothing's come to mind. It's pretty surprising for me. I usually come up with analogies pretty easy. But until you know you need something, you don't know if it's there. We have anybody here who's runners, Sometimes you're a runner, right, and you hit a wall, and once you hit that wall, you discover, do, what I ha do I have what it takes to run past it, to keep on going? Well, you, you don't know if you have that extra gear. You don't know if you have that, that deeper ability within you until you hit that wall. Trust is kind of like that. I don't know if I've got it in me to trust God until I'm in a circumstance that requires trust in God. And so there are times I think the dark night of the soul comes, the powerless places and experience, we find ourselves in the valley, and it's not a punishment. It's a test. And it's not God testing us so he can see if we have the capacity. It's the test is for us so that we can discover, hey, do I have that extra gear? Do I have within my own heart and soul the ability to trust God in the difficult times. He already knows. There's no surprises to him. 
He doesn't need this epiphany. We're the ones who need the epiphany. Oh, I really can still trust God. Nadine and I, we've had hard things happen in our lives. I'm not speaking from some untested ivory tower. I've learned these lessons in the valley, in the deep, dark places. Some of you guys know our story. We've experienced some tough stuff, and it's in those difficult times. But we've learned that we really can trust God. The psalmist understood this well. In Psalm 23, verses 4 and 5, he writes, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. How did he know this? These are not lessons learned on the mountaintop. These are, these are revelations revealed, truths discovered in the valley of the shadow of death. We go through that valley and we find that God's there waiting for us. I don't believe for a second, I do not, listen to me, I don't believe for a second that God creates the valleys in our lives. I think there's enough darkness in the world and enough stupidity in us that we find our own valleys. And when we find ourselves there, God meets us in that place and reveals his heart to us in that place. He reveals his faithfulness. He reveals his extravagant love. He takes advantage of those dark times and shows us his heart. I believe this is what the scripture means when it says he works all things together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. What are the things he works together for good? The attacks of the enemy against our lives. Our own foolishness. I wholeheartedly believe what Larry Randolph says, that God has factored our stupidity into our destiny. And sometimes that factoring happens in the valley. It happens in the powerless place. It happens in that dark night of the soul. Then, with trust established, in trust, we're able to do what Jesus said, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. How do we find our way out of the dark night of the soul? I think humility is our friend. You know what will keep you in the dark night of the soul? Pride will keep you in the dark night of the soul. Man, pride, you know, I heard someone say, a friend of mine, Patty Mae, said years ago, you know, if you boil down all sin, what it really comes up to is just pride. You know, and it's true. At least for me, it's true. Pride is our enemy, and it keeps us stuck in the dark night. It keeps us trapped in the powerless place. Humility is the way of escape. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? How do we get out of that valley? He exalts us when we're humble. So it's when we're humble, when we deny ourselves, when we give up our need to be right or to look right. Humility will help us get out of the dark night. When we, like Jesus in the garden, choose to take up our cross by saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You know, sometimes we follow Jesus 
And we've got a picture in our mind of what the future is going to look like. And as we follow him and follow the leading of his spirit, we discover his picture for our lives looks different than our picture for our lives. And at some point, we have to say, Lord, I choose your will over my will. I choose your picture over my picture. Not my will, but yours be done. And, and then we obey. We humble, we surrender, we obey. We follow him. We choose to go where he goes. And we choose to do what he's doing. Especially when it's not what we want. My personal spiritual journey has taught me that the best way through to the other side of the dark night of the soul is to put my trust in God. To firmly hold on to what I've shared so many times before is my two undeniable truths of the universe. Number one, that God is good. And number two, that He loves me. And I refuse in faith, I refuse in trust. I refuse to judge God's goodness or to judge His love for me by my trying circumstances. Instead, in faith and trust, I judge my circumstances in light of the truth. Firmly established in my heart. Not in the mountaintop, but in the valley. That God is good. No matter what my circumstances say, God is good and God does love me. Because He is love. And His love never changes. You know what? In Isaiah 55, when it says that God's ways are not our ways... Man, that's about one of the truest statements you're ever going to hear. His, his ways are not your ways. His ways are higher than your ways. They're better than your ways. They're different than your ways. And sometimes I just need to trust him in that and yield my will to his will. Yield my preferred way to his way and say, I'm going to do it your way, Lord. I'm not going to continue to try and do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. And he does things that I never would have done. <clears throat> now, those of you who know me, you know I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. Nadine's an extrovert by nature. Man, she walks into a room, the party starts, right? I walk into a room full of people. I'm looking for a, a little quiet corner where I can sit. And if people want to come and talk to me, that's great. But I'm not going to work the room. Nadine couldn't possibly sit still for a whole night. She's going to work the whole room. Right? And so God, in his infinite wisdom takes the extrovert, and he has her manning the PowerPoint computer, and he has the introvert here in front of a room full of people every week, all time. His ways are not my ways. Somebody once asked me, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I said, man, I want to be invisible. <laughs> I said, I've lived my whole life visible. I want to be invisible. I think being invisible would be I think flying would be pretty cool too, but invisible would be awesome. Right? What else? God takes a kid from New York City and sends him, of all people, to a tiny little town in Clarksburg, West Virginia, to plant church. We were there for eight years. Every time I opened my mouth, somebody said to me, boy, you're not from around here. <laughs> no, I'm not from around here. He takes someone from away. From the United States, no less. <laughs> The pastor of church on PEI. His ways are not our ways. Thank God he did. <laughs> you know what? 
He just might ask you to function outside of your comfort zone as well. Why? Because his power is made perfect in weakness. The verses I shared with you last week, he chooses the weak. He chooses the broken. He chooses the outcast. He chooses, he chooses the things that are not to nullify the things that are. His ways are not our ways. Why did he do all this with us? For the same reason he chose Peter and he chose Paul. Because his power absolutely is made perfect in weakness. Let's look at those verses. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. Paul writes, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. That sounds like a dark night of the soul to me, right? Insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, weakness. That sounds like a dark night. That sounds like a valley. That sounds like the powerless place. Paul knew it. He experienced it. He wanted out of it. Three times he prayed. God had a different plan. So, I want to leave you with these final words. The words of Jesus from John 14, chapter 1, from the New Living Translation. If you're sitting here today and you find yourself in the dark night of the soul, this is what Jesus says to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. So I want to pray, and then I have some prophetic words I want to share. So Lord, I pray for my friends this morning. I pray for those who are in a dark night of the soul. I pray for those who find themselves in a powerless place. Oh God, reveal to them just how great and lavish your love is for them, for who they are right here, right now, this time in their life, reveal the great, the greatness and the magnificence of your love for them, oh God. In their valley of the shadow of death, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would prepare a table for them in the presence of the enemy. And Lord, I ask that you do this so that trust is firmly established between you and them. And Lord, I ask that you do it even now. Lord, we, we welcome you. Prune us to make us more fruitful. Take away whatever needs to be taken away so that what you want established in our lives can be established. Give us eyes to see the new things that you're doing. As you do a new thing, give us all that we need, the capacity we need to perceive it as it happens. And Lord, grant us grace so that we will readily yield and surrender our ways and our will to your ways and your will. Make of us a people who will deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. I ask, Lord, that you would meet us in the wilderness and lead us once again besides still and restful waters. Amen? Amen. And so... Um
woke up this morning, and God gave me, um, gave me some prophetic words. He gave me what I think are encouraging words, words of hope for those who are in challenging places. And now, God never seems to want to do it the same way twice with me. And, and so sometimes I know who the words are for, and sometimes I don't. And so I think I know who some of these are for, and I'll, I'll ad- identify them. Others, I really feel like this is a good word for someone here today. I, he just hasn't shown me who, for whatever reason. And I've learned um, by doing prophetic ministry to not go further than God's given me to go. Right? Hamburger helper in the prophetic doesn't make it better. Right? <laughs> and so, in humility, I offer what I get without trying to you know, add to it. And so, um, I think I've got like nine different things to share. There's a lot of revelation this morning. And um, so I'm going to share one, and, and if that's for you, raise your hand. Um, and you, when we do a final song, come forward, and uh, we'll, I'll be happy to pray for you. We'll have other people who will pray as well, okay? So this is the first thing I got. The Lord said, he wants you to know God remembers. God remembers that he's not forgotten the promises he spoke to you in private. He's not forgotten the promises he's spoken to you quietly when you were alone that night. He knows that from your perspective it looks hopeless and impossible, but he wants you to know today that nothing is impossible for him. He wants you to know that from his perspective it's already a done deal. It's fully accomplished, completely set in place. And he wants you to know that he's faithful to his word and he's faithful to the promises he made to you. And that this word is just a first encouragement. More will come. Little gifts of hope will be left on your, on your doorstep. Does that fit anybody here today? <laughs> okay, come forward for prayer afterwards. Next one. I don't know who this one's for either. The Lord says you're not an island. Sometimes you've even taken pride in being, I'm an island. I'm a, alone, self-sufficient unto myself. God says you're not, not an island. That God himself is a bridge over your troubled waters. That he himself has made a way where there once was no way at all. Where you were once isolated and cut off, God himself has bridged the gap. He is the connecting point from what was not to what now is. I see new connections with new people. And these new people bring with them new opportunities. The Lord reminded me that the Confederation Bridge turns 20 years old today. And he said, for you, whoever this is for, study the story of the bridge. And God will encourage you in that story. That he has hidden prophetic nuggets of hope for you in that story to find. Okay? You're not an island. He himself is a bridge over your troubled waters. Does that that resonate in anyone's heart today? Okay, if you decide later it is, you can come forward for prayer. This is the next thing I got. I saw a sign, and the sign said, Lost and found. That what was lost is now found. In the realm of the Spirit, it's been found, and very soon, 
Its hiding place will be revealed to you in the natural realm. The Lord says that you were created for the realm of the spirit. It is the place of life for you. A place of hope for you. That confusion and distraction and discouragement have no hold over you in the realm of the spirit. And God is calling you to come and dwell with him. To live with him in the spirit. Do this and it will give you great power, abiding hope, and significant authority as you live out life in the natural realm. God says, don't resist. You were made for this. For this, You were made for the spiritual realm. Life in the natural realm becomes overwhelming for you when your visits to the realm of the spirit are too far and too in between. So if that is that for anyone here. Okay. We'll pray for you too. Next word. Lord wants you to know that he has set you in place. That you are good seed and very good soil. Right now you're hidden. You feel buried because you are. Your seed is yet to germinate and sprout. But this has absolutely nothing to do with sin or mistakes or failure. It has everything to do with the timing of God. God wants you to know that you're not too late and that you're not running behind schedule. He wants you to know that his hand is on you and you are perfectly on time. That you are the right person in the right place at the right time. And God says you will sprout and life will break forth and you will blossom and grow. And your life will bear abundant fruit, lasting fruit. He says, do not be afraid. Is that for somebody here today? We'll pray for you. Next thing I saw, God speaks to me in pictures. I saw a lawnmower cutting tall grass and leaving behind it a perfectly manicured lawn in the front of a house. God wants you to know he's getting everything ready for your future. God wants you to know that he's taking what has been a mess and he's cleaning it all up. He's taking what has been out of order and putting things in his right order. I see a for sale sign go up and very quickly the sign says sold. But there's a big move coming your way. Significant life changes coming your way. Right now it looks like an insurmountable, impossible mess. But God's going to come and mow it all down. And as he comes, I see the grass bowing before him. He's coming with his authority. He's coming with his power. He's coming with his lordship. And everything that seems out of order is just going to bow before him. He is working all things together for your good. God wants you to know that he has it all planned out. And that he's inviting you to come and partner with him. If that's for you this morning... Come forward during the final song. We'll pray for you too.
upsets me if things aren't exactly so. I understand. I was the one who cut the grass yesterday. Yesterday. Bought a new mower and did just wow. to get things in proper order. And all of the debris was taken away yesterday. Very cool. And now everything is as it should be. Sounds like that word might be for you. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks for telling me that. Um, just, a, just a few more things. Um, I saw an oil lamp, and its oil was almost completely gone, and its wick was almost entirely burnt out. That you, you've been, you burnout's the word. You've felt burnt out. All your oil from this past season has been spent, and God says to you, "Well done." You've been faithful with little, and he's about to entrust you with much. You've been faithful with small things, and now he will entrust you with much more. That God himself is about to refill your oil and restore your wick. I see red and blue oil in a clear glass lamp with a long, thick, white braided wick. Lord says you are this lamp. That you're you're filled with divine wisdom and holy revelation. And that your lamp will be a beacon of hope to many. And now I see that lamp, what was a burnt out lamp, no oil, barely a wick left. God restores it, puts a new wick in it, puts red and blue oil inside of it. And I see that lamp transformed into a lighthouse, fixed, set in place, firmly planted. And through your life, God wants you to know that many will find their way to safety through rough waters because of the work of God in your life. He wants you to know that you are not finished, that your greatest days lie ahead. And um, I saw a picture this morning and it's this picture over here from the movie uh, the animated movie Up right and the Lord says to you you've been down you feel old and worn out and all alone but God wants you to know he has an adventure for you you've been down 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 and you're going up 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 and it's going to be fun 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 <laughs> and I really felt like the Lord said to tell you the watch this animated movie. Go find it on Netflix or rent it or, or buy it, whatever, and watch it. And that as you watch the movie, he's got things he's going to communicate to you, to your heart through this movie. When we got here this morning, uh, it was Nadine and I and John, and uh, Nadine went and got his coffee in. And I felt in that moment, it was just a prophetic moment, John, and I felt like this is what God said for you. That he has a large double-double for you. Double-double <laughs> for all that's been lost and for all that's been stolen away from you. An order has been placed and it's a large double-double. And this is it. It's the justice of God for you. And it's going to come to you faster, much, much faster than you thought possible. Hyperspeed. It's going to come supernaturally quick. So do that, Lord. Do it for my brother. And um, 
last word that I have, and then, and then we'll, we'll close with a final song. And, um, and Angie, I felt like this was for you. And this is what the Lord would have me say to you this morning. Miracles happen when you fix your eyes on Jesus. Oh, miracles happen when you fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, your Lord. In the light of his face, all your questions die. All your questions fade. In the light of his face, all your questions fade away. So we thank you, Lord. Yes. John, why don't you come up? If you need ministry today, maybe you find yourself in the dark night of the soul like I described. And if you need prayer for that, come forward. We'd be happy to pray for you. Maybe you find yourself in the powerless place. Please come forward. We'll pray for you. Maybe one of the prophetic words I shared resonated with your heart, please come forward and I will gladly, happily pray for you this morning. If you need prayer for anything at all, don't leave this place without getting prayer. As John leads us to the final song, please come up.